We are in Exodus chapter 20. And as I said before, we are going to cover this chapter in depth over the next two weeks, uh, the first half and the second half. But today we're going to look at the first two verses and bigger picture, how the Ten Commandments relate to us. So the first chapter 20, verse 1 says, God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Do the Ten Commandments apply to us? Do we have to obey the Ten Commandments? There are different ways of looking at this. We understand that the Old Testament has a lot of laws in it, Ten Commandments being some of those. So some people say that all the Old Testament is binding on Christians, on people now, that we have to keep everything in the Old Testament. Not many people like that, but there's some. Everything the Old Testament says, we have to do today. More common is the view that some of the Old Testament is binding. And often it's divided into three parts. The ceremonial law, the civil law, and the moral law. And the, and the civil and the ceremonial have been done away with, but the moral law still binds us, and we're supposed to keep that. That's Maybe some of you hold that position. I used to hold that position in the past. Uh, then other people say only the Ten Commandments are binding on us. We only have to keep the Ten Commandments. That's probably a common view in America. And then other people say only some of the Ten Commandments are binding on us. If you've watched the news in the past 10 or 20 years, there's a big debate about whether the Ten Commandments should be displayed, federal property, you know, statues and schools and things like that. So it's very relevant to America today. How do we view the Ten Commandments? Here's what I'm going to teach, preach today. None of the Ten Commandments are binding on Christians. You don't have to keep any of the Ten Commandments. Now that, you, now that I've got your attention, because, and here's the summary of the passage in, in the Old Testament and New Testament in general, none of the Ten Commandments are binding on Christians because they were given to Israel to accomplish a specific goal at a specific time. They were viewed as one complete unit not to be divided, which the New Testament does not change. Also, they were insufficient to accomplish the goals of God. So, he made them temporary, introduced a new covenant, whereby Jesus bears the old covenant and gives us a new covenant with new motivation and new ability in the Spirit. And we'll unpack that as we go through it. So in verse 1 it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. This is not just God speaking, generally. As we've been going through Exodus, it's part of a bigger story. God made a promise to Abraham. He made a covenant that he would make his nation great. His nation was put into bondage in Egypt. God says, I remembered my covenant. He went down to Egypt, and what did he do? He punished the Egyptians. He cursed them. And he re rescued his people. He redeemed them out of Egypt. Brought them to Mount Sinai. These are historical events. There was an ethnic group of people, a national group of people called the Israelites, who God saved from Israel, or from Egypt. And that's what he says here. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, out of slavery. He brings those same people to Mount Sinai, where, as we saw last week in chapter 19, he makes a covenant with them. Now, covenant is not just sort of an understanding. It's a formal agreement. 
with certain parties, with certain stipulations, with certain results. We see that in chapter 19. Chapter 20 is the beginning of that covenant. So he said to the Israelites, if you keep my commandments, I'll bless you. And they said, yes, we will do that. We agree to the covenant. Chapter 20, and God spoke based on their agreement. He says, now here's the covenant. You agreed to do what I said. Now I'm telling you what to do. And he, he, in this formal covenant agreement, you have, to, you have to say who's in the covenant. Who's expected to keep these? Who are the parties involved? That's what he does in verse, in verse 2, in verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. The dominant party here is Yahweh, Jehovah, the Redeemer who brought them out, the I am. That's party number one. Second, who brought you out of the land of Egypt? Who's the second party here? It's not God's people. It's specifically described. It's those people who were brought out of Egypt, brought out of slavery, brought to Sinai. He says before, that's the house of Jacob, the children of Israel. God is making it very clear who the covenant is with. Himself and those people who came out of Egypt through salvation. The covenant was given to Israel. Now, this does highlight a bigger principle that we're going to get into later. Notice the order that God works in. This hasn't changed. He saves them. Then he tells them what to do. Not the other way around. Right off the bat, we have to see, before he tells them what to do, he tells them that he's already redeemed them. It wasn't, Moses, go down to Egypt, tell the Israelites, here are the commandments. If they obey them, I'll redeem them out of Egypt. No, he redeemed them out of Egypt, then he gave them the law. That's important to understand. That principle hasn't changed, but, but look what the Bible says. God says, I'm going to give you ten commandments. Who are the you that he's giving them to? Those people who are descendants of Jacob, who lived in Egypt, who were rescued from Egypt, and who are on their way to the promised land. That's not us. That's not us. We are what would be called Gentiles. We were not rescued from Egypt. We were not delivered from slavery. God even talks about it in Psalm 147. It says, he declared his word to Jacob, like he says here, and his statutes and his judgments to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. You see what he does in Psalm? He says, he gave Israel laws, commandments, covenants. He did not give them to other nations. Guess who we are? Other nations. So when you get, before you get to the Ten Commandments, who is he talking to? Those redeemed. Not us. If you think he's talking to us, you will miss the whole point. The Old Testament will be totally skewed for you. You will descend into legalism. You'll misunderstand the gospel. You won't understand the difference between the new and the old covenant. You won't know how to live your own life. Everything will be twisted. So God's very clear. He says, I know this is going to be an issue for the next two, three to 5,000 years. So I'm going to clearly state who the Ten Commandments are being given to. People of Israel rescued. Luther says that Moses does not bind the Gentiles can be proved from Exodus 21 where God himself speaks, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. 
This text makes it clear that even the Ten Commandments do not pertain to us. For God never led us out of, the, out of Egypt, but only the Jews. The sectarian spirits want to saddle us with Moses and all the commandments. We will just skip that. We will regard Moses as a teacher, but we will not regard him as our lawgiver. We will regard Moses as a teacher. We will not regard him as our lawgiver. Now, that's a break for a lot of us. That's not how we were raised. That's not how we were taught. That's not what we saw. But the scripture says it was given to them. Now, what was the purpose of this? You see, this covenant, the Ten Commandments have a purpose. They're not just a good way to live. The purpose is given in chapter 19. It says, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, which he will give, then you shall be my special people, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You see, the covenant, the Ten Commandments had a purpose. Two things, kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Israel was given the Ten Commandments here by God to do a specific task. That was to mediate God's presence to the rest of the world. A kingdom of priests. They were meeting with God at Sinai. They had a special relationship. The rest of the world didn't. Israel was supposed to follow the Ten Commandments, get the covenant, and mediate God's presence to the rest of the world. That was the goal. Then secondly, they were supposed to restore God's image. Man was created in God's image, but then he sinned, and he sort of marred the surface. He scratched the painting. God is saying, here's what man should have looked like. And as you live as a holy nation, and as you live by my law, you will begin to look like me again. You will restore the image that has fallen through sin. The Ten Commandments, the covenant, is given to Israel to restore Eden. Go back to the Garden of Eden, where man mediated God's presence to the world, where he represented God perfectly in the image. But that fell. Man sinned. And now God's saying, I'm going to redeem that. And I'm going to do it through my law, through basically the Ten Commandments. So that's the purpose of the covenant. It was given to the nation of Israel out of Egypt to restore what Eden should have been. Mediate God's presence and restore the image of God. We are not Israel. We are not the children of Jacob. We are Gentiles or we are Christians. This is not given to us. Putting yourself into this story is not allowed. You're not allowed to do that. The Bible determines what we do. And the Bible says, here's who the Ten Commandments are given to. But more than that, the Ten Commandments are a unit. The covenant is one whole combined unit treated as one thing. So in the Old Testament, they say there are 613 laws that make up the covenant that was given to Moses. We call it the Mosaic Covenant. The New Testament calls it the Old Covenant. 613 laws. The Ten Commandments are not just ten of those laws. Sort of, you got ten commandments, and then he added another 602. 601. That's not how it worked. The Ten Commandments include the other 600. You see, when he gives it to him, he said, here's my covenant. He summarizes the entire law of Moses in Ten Commandments. And we can see that. Because the Ten Commandments are identified as the covenant. In Deuteronomy 4, 
Moses retells this story to the new people. Their parents had died. These people he's talking to, they, did, they disobeyed God. He killed them. Their children are about to go into the promised land. So Moses retells the story to make sure they understood it. In Deuteronomy 4, it says, And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, the Mosaic covenant, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. You see what Moses does there? He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments was the summary of the covenant. In Exodus 34, uh, you remember, we'll get to the story, Moses breaks the first set of commandments because they sin. He goes up and gets the second made. That's what happens in Exodus 34. And the Lord said to Moses, write these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. And Moses wrote or cut the Ten Commandments. He said, in accordance with these words, these Ten Commandments, I've made a covenant. What about the other covenant? What about the other 600 laws? All the ones we know about, about mixed garments and don't eat shellfish, those are contained within the Ten Commandments. We can see this further because of the unique status given to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were the only laws that God himself spoke. Look at Exodus 21. And God spoke all these words, saying... Now, it was so scary that towards the end of the passage, it says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightnings and the flashes, and they stood off and they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. The only time God speaks directly to his people like this is to give the Ten Commandments. The rest of the laws were given by Moses, but these were given by God's own voice. They were also written by God himself. It says that Moses cut the tablets and God with his own finger wrote the Ten Commandments on the tablet. That didn't happen anywhere else. The rest of the Bible was penned by men, led by God, but written by the hand of man, except for the Ten Commandments. God himself wrote them. Then the Ten Commandments were the only laws that were put into the Ark of the Covenant. God says, take these Ten Commandments and put them into the Ark of the Covenant. Because in the Ark of the Covenant, it summarizes everything I'm going to do for you. So we see the Ten Commandments are given a primary spot. Exodus 25, and you shall put the ark into the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, the testimony which I will give you, the Ten Commandments. These aren't just ten of the commandments. These are the Ten Commandments. They enc encapsulate the entire covenant that God made with Moses. The Ten Commandments, there's a way to think of it. The Ten Commandments are the Constitution. You ever read the Constitution? The Constitution has all the laws in it. But then what do you have to do? You have to sort of stretch it out and apply it, and you have different local government things. I'm not exactly sure how all that works. But the Constitution is everything. That, that sort of makes who we are. If you have the Constitution, you can run America. That's the Ten Commandments. More laws would need to be clarified and ex extended, but they all find their source in the Ten Commandments. And so God speaks of them as a unit. If Moses were to only write nine commandments, what would happen? You wouldn't have the covenant. It wouldn't be complete. Moses didn't get to say, keep most of the Ten Commandments. I'll write down most of them. He had to write down ten of them because that was the entire thing. The New Testament does the same thing. The New Testament treats the Ten Commandments and the covenant as a unit, one whole. 
James 2.10. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. You break one commandment, you've broken the covenant. It's not keep most of the covenant. It's the covenant is a unit, and once you break, it's broken. The whole thing is broken. Imagine a glass vase full of marbles. How many times do you break the vase before the marbles spill out? One time. That's the law. That's the covenant. You break one law, you've broken the vase. There's no putting it back. There's no putting the marbles back in it. So the New Testament sees the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, not the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant as a unit, the Ten Commandments being the summary of those. There's no mention in the New Testament of the Ten Commandments as a unit. Sometimes people say, well, the, we follow the Ten Commandments, and this is a pretty common view. We follow those Ten Commandments that are mentioned again in the New Testament. But if the Ten Commandments are a unit in the Old Testament, why aren't they a unit in the New Testament? The New Testament doesn't even quote all the, New, all the Ten Commandments. It only quotes six of them. Covenant, Ten Commandments 1 through 4 are not quoted in the New Testament. Now, can you imagine if Moses did that? He just sort of summarized the first four and then quoted the last six. That wouldn't fly. The New Testament doesn't quote the first four. It doesn't take the, New, doesn't take the Ten Commandments into the New Testament. So when you find one, ten, one of the Ten Commandments in the New Testament, that's significant. It's significant that the New Testament takes one out. Because what they're doing is they're saying, we can take one out. We don't have to take them all together. Israel didn't get that option. They took it all together. Then specifically, Paul changes one of the Ten Commandments. Moses if Moses had changed one of the Ten Commandments, what would God have done? He would have struck him dead, which he did to people in the Old Testament. He struck them dead when they broke the commandments. Paul changes one of them, specifically the Sabbath. In Colossians 2, Paul writes, this is the New Testament, having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us. He says some more stuff. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. Now think back to Exodus 20. Moses comes down and says, now here's God's law, but don't let anyone judge you about the Sabbath. You know what the penalty for breaking the Sabbath was? Death. Paul's saying, just do whatever you want with the Sabbath. Don't let anyone judge you. You just do whatever you want. That doesn't sound like Moses, does it? That doesn't sound like the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant had some very, very strict penalties. Break the Sabbath, die. Paul is saying, don't even worry about the Sabbath. If you want to keep it, go for it. If you don't want to keep it, don't worry about it. Don't let anyone judge you. So Paul, with apparently great authority, says, don't worry about that commandment. I know God spoke it out of his own voice. He wrote it with his own finger. He put it into the Ark of the Covenant. But you don't have to worry about it anymore. Well, what makes that one different? Didn't James say if you break one, you've broken them all? If you change one part of the covenant, what about the rest of it? You see, when we this is the problem I had. I used to hold the three parts of the Old Testament, moral, civil, and ceremonial. The problem is, who decides which is which? Who decides what goes into the moral, what goes into the ceremonial, and what goes into the civil? If you don't know this, the Bible doesn't make that distinction. 
The Bible doesn't tell you the categories. They're all man-made. So Paul changes one, and we say, okay, that was it. That must have been ceremonial. But what about the other ones? You see, this is so relevant for us today because if you say something like homosexuality is a sin and then you quote the Old Testament to prove it, people now today are smart enough to read the rest of that chapter and then ask you, what about mixed clothing? Because that was in the same chapter. Why don't you care about that part of the law? Why do you get to pick and choose? And we don't have an answer. And the Bible certainly doesn't have an answer. So Paul changed it. But Paul also makes no division in the old law, the old covenant, the Ten Commandments. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. You see, Paul understood how the old covenant worked. He understood that it was a unit. And you either broke one or you broke them all. It was the same thing. So the only way out of that was to get rid of all of them. You don't get to get rid of some of them and keep others. God never told anyone to do that. He said, you keep all of my commandments, every single one of them. That was the covenant. Chapter 19, now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenants, then you shall be a special treasure. And Paul's saying, that's right. So we need something better. So we get rid of all the law because we can't keep any part of it. Galatians chapter 5, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Go back to what I said at the beginning. You don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. They're not written to you. You can't keep them. And Paul says they're done. They were for the Old Covenant. We're done with that. It was a unit. You didn't get to pick and choose among it. We're done. He makes it clear by saying the Sabbath doesn't apply, which is one of the most important laws in the Old Testament. In fact, the Sabbath was the symbol of national unity in the covenant. One of the reasons that God took Israel out of the land, exiled them to a foreign country, one of the worst punishments you could imagine, is because they didn't keep the Sabbath. He specifically mentions that. They were also supposed to keep a Sabbath for the land, let the land rest. They didn't do that, so he said, I'm going to take you out of the land so the land can have a Sabbath. That's important. Paul's saying, don't worry about it. In other words, Paul's saying, the law doesn't apply to you. The law was for another group of people. You are not under the law. But there's a reason for that. There's a reason there was a change. There's a reason we don't want to be under the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, the covenant was insufficient. It couldn't produce what it was intended to produce. Remember what it was intended to produce? a nation to mediate God's presence and restore the image of God in holiness. As you kept the Ten Commandments, you became more and more holy and you started to look like God. That was the goal. But it didn't work. We'll see as we go through Exodus, it immediately didn't work. It started working less and less the more laws were given. Even though the motivations in the law were very extreme, God says, here are my commandments. Obey them for two reasons. One, if you obey them, I'll bless you in a way that no one else in the world will be blessed. There's your motivation. I will bless you in a special way you can't even imagine if you keep them. But if you don't keep them, 
here's your motivation. I'll kill you. I'll deport you. I'll destroy your children. I'll ruin your crops. Wild animals will come into your country and eat you. That's one of the curses. Now, if that was threatened to you, don't you do that with your kids? Don't go on the street or a car's going to run you over. It's a motivation. God gave that to them. But it didn't work. It couldn't restore Eden. It couldn't take them back to what they had lost. God couldn't give them enough motivation in the Old Covenant to do right. God himself, creator of the world, perfect lawgiver. There was nothing wrong with the law. It reflected God's image. But the blessings and the curses could not motivate them to obey. That's a problem. If you tell someone, do this or I'm going to kill you, and they still don't do it, what do you have left? You ever done that with, your, with kids or other people? You sort of threaten the ultimate, and they still don't do it? And you're like, oh, that's all I had. God gives them the worst punishment possible, and they still aren't motivated by it. There's nothing else to motivate. Do this and live, disobey and die. That's the ultimate motivation in this world. Why wouldn't it work? Because all of the laws came from the outside and tried to change them on the inside. And Israel said, we're too bad for that. You can't change us. You can give all the laws you want, and they can be as perfect as you want, and you can show us everything, but we're so bad on the inside, you can't stop us. That's what they told God. Not in so many words, but their actions said, we're too bad for you to fix, and we're going to prove it. And God says, well, here's some more laws. Here's some more mercy. Here's some more grace. Here's some more blessing. And they said, nope. Our heart is wicked. A Russian uh, author, Solzhenitsyn, Yes, I did have to practice that a few times. Solzhenitsyn, he wrote the Gulag Archipelago. He said, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. If only Israel, the only problem was Egypt. and Just bring them out of Egypt and destroy Egypt. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of their own heart? That's what the Ten Commandments tell us. Do right. And Israel says, I'm not willing to destroy my own heart because that's the problem. That's the old covenant. If you want to bring the Ten Commandments into this life, there's your requirements. Keep every single one of them and keep them perfectly or God's going to kill you. And also recognize that God's own people couldn't do it. It's a failed experiment before it even started. So if we want to bring the Ten Commandments and plop them down in the courthouse somewhere, that's a mistake. That's a mistake. It didn't work for Israel. Why would it work for America? It didn't work for Moses. Why would it work for us? I don't care if every statue of Ten Commandments got taken down in America because it didn't produce holiness. Now, we'll get into the Ten Commandments in the next two weeks, so don't worry. I'm not dismissing them. I'm just saying they can't produce what they were intended to produce. And to think that they are and to fight that they be displayed as if that's going to bring America back to righteousness is to ignore the Old Testament because God tried it with Israel. And if God couldn't do it with Israel, then we can't do it with America. We can't do it with our family. We can't do it with our church. 
It's insufficient. But you see, God knew that the whole time. God knew that it wouldn't work. He just had to prove it to us. So he prophesies. I've made a covenant with you, but I'm going to make a new covenant with you. And what we're going to talk about here specifically is that new covenant has a different motivation. Same goal. Mediate God's presence. Restore the image of God. But different motivations. In 1 Peter 2, we see the first motivation. Remember the old motivation? Blessings or curses. Life or death. Obey. Be blessed. Disobey. Be cursed. 1 Peter 2.10 says, But you are a chosen generation. This is the New Testament. It's talking to us now. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. You see how it just got reversed? He's not saying, obey me and you will be. He's saying, you are already. And the rest of 1 Peter says, now act this way. Now that you already have all the blessings, you already have the identity that Israel tried to get and failed, now behave. There's a different motivation now. We're motivated by already receiving the blessing ahead of time. Something Israel couldn't comprehend. But God, that was God's plan. It was to show that threats couldn't do it, so he gave us the blessing first. But even that wouldn't be enough. That wouldn't be enough, even though it is a motivation for us. You need something more, because what was Israel's problem? Their heart was wicked, and you can't reform a heart. You can't shape a heart. Once it's bad, it's bad. You either destroy it or create it anew. That's what God promises. Jeremiah chapter 31, an Old Testament prophecy. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. This is before Jesus came. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not according to that covenant I made in Exodus chapter 20 with the Ten Commandments. When I took them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, even though I was a husband to them. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. You see what God's promising? He says, I'm not going to make an... The old covenant was broken, couldn't be fixed. I'm not going to make another covenant like that. I'm going to make a new covenant. In this new covenant, guess what you get? A new heart. The one thing that Israel needed that they didn't have, God promises in the new covenant. Ezekiel says, I'll create a new heart in you. Not a heart of stone, a heart of flesh. Not a heart that could not be shaped like Israel's. No matter what God did, he could not change them. A heart of flesh, a living heart, a heart that could obey. 2 Corinthians 2 in the New Testament says, You are an epistle written in our hearts. Paul's talking to the church. Known and read by all men. See how he's changing things? Not the Ten Commandments. He says, You're an epistle. Ministered by us. Written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is, of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. Are you trying to change? Are you trying to keep the Ten Commandments? Are you trying to be a better person? You're not sufficient. Israel proved it. Paul's saying it again. We are not sufficient, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient 
He made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, and it was, Mount Sinai was amazing. So the children of Israel could not look steadily at Moses' face because of the glory of his countenance. Moses' face was so bright they couldn't look at it. He had to put a veil. Which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? You want to keep the Ten Commandments? Why? There's a new covenant that makes the old one look pale and fragile. And the new covenant is written on our hearts by the Spirit. That's what Jesus offers in the new covenant. Not a list of rules. That won't work. Not better motivation but a new heart, the Spirit of God himself working in us to produce something out of us. The new covenant works from the inside out. You see what the old covenant did? Physically bring them out of Egypt, bring them to the mountain, show them physical, powerful events, speak words to them, give them testimonies. Try to change them from the outside in. By every means that God had at his disposal. Don't think God held anything back. And it didn't work. So God says, I know it wasn't going to work, so I've got a new covenant that works from the inside out. Now think about your life. Think about your family. Think about your church. Are we trying to change things from the outside in or from the inside out? Are we trying to put new restrictions, new rules, new ways of living Trade the old ones for new ones? Or are we saying the Spirit must work in us to produce something out of us? That's the new covenant. This is the promise that Jesus brings. You see, the old covenant, the Ten Commandments, promised a curse. And guess what? We've broken the Ten Commandments. So what happens to the curse? You see, there's more laws than just in the Ten Commandments. There's also a law written on our hearts that Romans talks about. We've broken that too. What about the curse? Galatians 3 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? Having become a curse for us. The curse didn't go away. The covenant can't be broken. God gave the covenant. He expects it to be kept. Sin was done. It was broken. Payment. Jesus says, absolutely, I'll take every bit of it. I'll take the entire curse in myself. Christ, the Son of God, perfectly holy, kept all 613 of those laws. Never failed to keep the law. Every law you read in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all of those, Christ kept them all. And yet bore the curse of everyone who broke them, became a curse for us, humiliated, broken. God himself cursed Jesus for us. You still want the Ten Commandments? You still want the law when you can have Christ? You still want blessings and curses when you can have Christ? Christ, 
became the curse for us, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit, the one thing that can actually change us, Christ provides for us. So do the Ten Commandments apply to us? Thankfully, no. Thankfully, no. Here's what applies to us. Christ has died for your sins. He offers you the Spirit that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, not through obedience, not through faithfulness. Believe that Jesus became a curse. Stop depending on trying to keep the law. Trust Christ. And it's all done for you. We are raised up in heavenly places to sit with Christ Jesus. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. That's the promise of the new covenant. So when we read the old covenant, we read it in light of the new covenant, and we don't go back to it. We see it for what it is. We learn from it, but we don't bind ourselves to it. Christ has redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse. Now you must repent of your sins, turn from your self-righteousness, and turn to Christ. Let's pray.